Six days ago, Russia's Vladimir Putin sought to shake the very foundations of the free world, thinking he could make it bend to his menacing ways. But he badly miscalculated. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Instead, he met with a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. He met the Ukrainian people. And President Zelensky, to every Ukrainian, their fearlessness, their courage, their determination literally inspires the world. Groups of citizens blocking tanks with their bodies, everyone from students to retirees to teachers, turned soldiers defending their homeland. And in this struggle, President Zelensky said in his speech to the European Parliament, Light will win over darkness. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Politicking, a podcast designed to be an urban guide to understanding politics and world news. I am your host, Keontae McDonald, and thanks for listening. First things first, I just want to send out an apology Um, for my first episode. Um, Not that I said anything wrong or not that I said anything bad. Actually, it's quite the opposite. I've gotten a, a received a few messages of people saying, you know, how, you know, the first episode was good, how they learned some new information that they didn't have before. And like I said, all in all, it was a good episode. But my apology stems off of actually my own thoughts. Um, After replaying the first episode over and over to myself, I just felt that it wasn't authentically me. It it wasn't me presenting myself the way that I really wanted to present myself. And and I'll get into that, what I mean by that. When I first created my post on Facebook, the Ukrainian and Russian post, the one that went viral, I wrote that in a sense of me being authentic authentically me. You know, those thoughts were derived right from my mind, the way that I think, the way that, you know, I articulate and understand things. And that's how I created that post. That's the post that more than likely got you to listen to this podcast. I got you to follow this podcast, to follow me on social media, because you want to hear my thoughts and the authentic expression that I put them in. And what I did with the first episode is after the post went viral, I think I got in my own head and I told myself, I have to create this episode that has to be this professional Diane Sawyer-esque CNN political commentator type episode. And I literally wrote down all my notes for that episode. And when I recorded it, I I must have read like 97% of that episode just strictly from my notes instead of just using my notes as a guide and talking freely. So... That's why I want to issue my apology because I just wasn't being myself. I just sounded stiff. I remember calling my calling my wife and telling her like I don't I don't really like that first episode anymore. Now that I put it out because I sounded so stiff and I sounded so robotic. So from here on out, from the podcast going forward, all my episodes in the future, I promise to be authentically me. Shout out to my, my sis Aisha Cox. I pl- I promise to be authentically me. And speak from the heart to speak loosely and to speak freely 
um, the way that I think, the way that I feel, because this podcast is just an amalgamation of my thoughts and how I understand politics. And I'm trying to give it to you so that you can better understand. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into our first topic, which is the State of the Union Address. We, the United States of America, stand with the Ukrainian people. Throughout our history, we've learned this lesson. When dictators do not pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos. They keep moving. And the cost, the threats to the America and America to the world keeps rising. That's why the NATO alliance was created, to secure peace and stability in Europe after World War II. The United States is a member, along with 29 other nations. It matters. American diplomacy matters. American resolve matters. Putin's latest attack on Ukraine was premeditated and totally unprovoked. He rejected repeated, repeated efforts at diplomacy. He thought the West and NATO wouldn't respond. He thought he could divide us at home in this chamber and this nation. He thought he could divide us in Europe as well. But Putin was wrong. We are ready. We are united, and that's what we did. We stayed united. We prepared extensively and carefully. We spent months building coalitions of other freedom-loving nations in Europe and the Americas, to, from America to the Asian and African continents, to confront Putin. Like many of you, I spent countless hours unifying our European allies. We shared with the world in advance what we knew Putin was planning and precisely how we would try to falsify and justify his aggression. We countered Russia's lies with the truth. And now, now that he's acted, the three free world is holding him accountable, along with 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as countries like the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Korea, Australia, New Zealand, and many others, even Switzerland, are inflicting pain on Russia and supporting the people of Ukraine. Putin is now isolated from the world more than he has ever been. So for those that don't know, the State of the Union address, this is something that happens every year um, for the sitting president. Now, they usually do it at the beginning of the year, um, every year after their first term. And it's pretty much given an update of, you know, how our union is doing, you know, the status of America, the status of our economy, um, the policies that they put in place, the policies that they try to put in place. It's just pretty much a, a Facebook update of saying like, hey, this is how I'm doing now. This is where I'm at, you know, today versus where I was last year, which I think is interesting because, you know, they only do this address once a year, but like, I feel like this should be something that should just be constantly kind of updated. Maybe I would say maybe twice a year. It should, it, you know, it should be given because things are forever changing in this nation, in the world in itself. So that's just my, my first thought. But first thing I really want to get into with the State of the Union address is the history that um, we got to watch. If you did get to watch it, if you didn't, you, I encourage you to actually to watch it um, just to see what, what President Biden is talking about. It's on YouTube. It's about an hour some change long. If you want to invest that time, I do encourage it. But the history I'm talking about is for the first time, usually with the State of the Union address, the, the, the president stands in, the po in front of the podium and then behind him is the Speaker of the House and the Vice President. Now, of course, you know, 
Kamala Harris, she is the first woman vice president. She's the first black vice president. Um, so that's history in itself. But then we have Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, sitting right next to her. So for the first time, we have two women sitting behind the president while he's given his address. So that is historic. Um, it's a beautiful thing to see, um, a beautiful thing to see inclusion, you know, and even even just with that inclusion, we, we have to really understand, too, that, you know, we've came, we've come afar. We've come a long way with including women and including minorities and things, but we still have so much further to go. So I always remember that. But I just thought that that was a beautiful thing. And that was, you know, that was awesome to see just two women. Um, so with the student union address, of course, I'm not going to go ahead and detail the whole hour of every single thing that he said, but rather we're going to just touch on the bulk of the, the hot topics or the things that, you know, he talked about that got the most attention from people. And I just want to just give brief details of that so that you can have some form of, you know, what it was about or what he was talking about. So, of course, the first thing we talked about was Ukraine and everything going on in Ukraine. Um, he actually even bought the U.S. ambassador from Ukraine um, into the, the the chambers, and I just thought that was a great sign because it just shows it shows and sends a message of you know of unity and really standing behind Ukraine. And actually, before I get into what he's going to say, um, somebody did write me a message on Facebook. A couple of people actually, and they still act. People are still asking me. Why does U.S. have to? Why does the U.S. have to get involved with what Ukraine is doing with whatever's going on with Ukraine? Like, why do we have to give aid? Why do we have to give money? Why do we have to give you know military assistance you know, with weapons and things of that nature? Just to break it down, short and simple for you. Back in the day, um, Ukraine used to have you know nuclear weapons. Of course, they were a part of the Soviet Union. That's what my um, original post on Facebook was about. Or talk about Russia, Russia being this abusive ex and a toxic relationship. Ukraine used to be a part of the Soviet Union, which broke up in 1991. Um, of course, in talks with the U.S. and you know, and making promises, Ukraine promised to get rid of their nuclear weapons or their nuclear arsenal. You know, for in return you know, promises kept from America. So pretty much this is us keeping our promise. In a sense, to break it down even further, this is like your neighbor has a big giant fence around their yard and in that yard they have a pit bull that's just off the leash, but they want you to come in there and help them with some gardening. So you say, well, the only way we're going to come into your backyard is if you get rid of that pit bull because, you know, I'm just not, I ain't good with dogs. So you just got to put that pit bull up. And essentially, that's what they've done. They've, getting, they've gotten rid of the dog or whatnot. And now they're looking to us to uphold our promise and to keep our promise. So that's why we're involved as the U.S. And it's just, you know, on the, on the humanitarian side of things, what's going on is an atrocity. And, you know, with the U.S., we want to, you know, we especially with the with, you know, in political terms, we want to be this big Christian country. Um, and so when we see unjust things going on and, you know, just people invading other countries, we want to lend a hand and we want to help where we can. So that's why the U.S. is involved. But back to what President Biden was talking about in his State of the Union speech. So Again, he talked about Ukraine. Um, he highlighted, you know, some of the economic sanctions that the U.S. and its allies like France, like U.K., like Germany, um, have enacted on the Russian banks and Russian oligarchs. 
Oh, that's another another word that somebody asked me to define exactly what is an oligarch. If you watch the news or like CNN or something like that, you've probably heard them make reference to Russian oligarchs. What an oligarch really is, it's just like a wealthy person or like a wealthy family um, in the state of in the country of Russia that has you know, some type of influence on the government, meaning that like they might be buddy, buddy with Putin or, you know, you would think of like in America, you would just think of like you have Obama and, you know, Obama might have some friends that are like Jay-Z and Beyonce or something like that. You, we would, you know, that kind of have his ear that can kind of call him up and talk to him whenever or whatnot. So that's what an oligarch is. But they go a little bit deeper than the Jay-Z and Beyonce analogy because the oligarchs, like, they kind of have their hands in the Russian economy. Like I said, not just do they have Putin's ear, but they kind of, you know, run things, you know, on the governmental front. So... Um, he put the, you know, we put sanctions on Russia and the oligarchs himself. And just to break down what the sanctions are. So pretty much the sanctions are like pretty much cutting them off from the financial benefits outside of their own country. So I gave another analogy like this on Facebook about sanctions. Just think of sanctions like this. You rent an apartment, right? And when you're renting an apartment, most of the time you have to pay a security deposit. You know, they're like, give us, go, go ahead and give us a thousand dollars for you to move in just in case, you know, you scratch up the walls or scratch up the paint or, you know, put a hole in something, you know, that security deposit will, you know, it'll cover it. Then you'll get the excess back. What we pretty much told them was go ahead. You, you got your security deposit and their security deposit is their money in our bank accounts in the in American banking system and the UK banking system and their Swiss bank account. So whatnot, that's their deposit. And what we're essentially telling Russia and the oligarchs is now y'all, y'all went into Ukraine tearing stuff up. We're going to go ahead and hold that deposit indefinitely. So you can't get to this money. Um, and you know, that, it's a great alternative for actually using force and, you know, declaring war. I see a lot of people on social media saying like, just putting sanctions on them, that's not really going to do much. But I mean, it's better than actually going into a full fledged war at the end of the day. So, you know, President Biden, go ahead. He went ahead and talked about that. Um, he talked about the closing the U.S. airspace, just like the other NATO allies who have closed their airspace to Russian flights. So that's another thing that's going to impact their economy. These Russian airline companies, now they can't land their planes in the majority of countries that people are trying to travel to. So they're not going to make any money from that. Um, he also talked about, you know, how he would ease the pretty much the inflation on the U.S. side from what's going on with this invasion and going on with the war, pretty much. And this is where we get into the gas prices, because I know most of you have probably seen gas has kind of jumped up, especially my listeners that live in California like I do. Like gas has actually gotten to five bucks in some places. I, I just came back home this today and my wife was telling me that, man, I had to spend like 96 bucks to fill up the car. You know, we've really never had to do that. But um, this these are the effects of, of war, especially, you know, with cutting off Russia, because Russia is a big oil supplier for the world, um, you know, and 
with everything that's going on, that's going to slow up stuff. But President Biden is working with the allies um, around the world and they're releasing up to, I think it was 60 million barrels of oil. And in America, we have our own oil reserve as well. And we're releasing 30 million barrels of that. He has a plan to release that. And that would kind of ease the inflation, especially in the gas prices that are that's going on in the world, or going on in the U.S. rather. Um, so hopefully that comes sooner rather than later so we can get out of this $5 range. Um, moving right along, another thing he talked about in this State of the Union is the COVID-19 recovery. Um, he actually brought up a new thing called Treat uh, Test to Treat Initiative. And the, trust, the Test to Treat Initiative um, stating that those that test positive for COVID at pharmacies can now receive an antiviral pill immediately. So there are these pills developed now that if you are sick, you can go ahead and take something for it. You know what I mean? Rather than, you know, just being protected by the vaccine like we used to be or like we still are. Now they have an actual rapid antiviral pill to take. Um, another point that he made was talking about funding the police. And I thought this was an interesting this was an interesting topic because, um, of course, with the you know murder of George, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, and so many other people gunned down by, you know, police violence. Um, there's been a, a slogan and a cry for defunding the police, you know, because we see whenever like there's a riot or something like that, the police roll out and they have all this tactical gear and you know, would look like tanks and things of that on the street. And, you know, it's just, you know, it, it's put out there to say that it's trying to keep the community safe, but it's just doing a lot. And that's and that's the mindset of people like the activists in Black Lives Matter um, and the activists that, that, that scream defund the police. That's where they're coming from, that we give all this money to the police departments for them to just continue to weapon up. And it's actually continuing to hurt us. Um, so... With him saying that he I want to give his perspective of what he's trying to say. He's saying that we have to stop saying defund the police and actually fund the police, meaning that we need to fund them with resources and proper training like proven strategies like the community violence interruption. And what community violence interruption is, if you heard that word somewhere on the news or something like that, essentially what he's talking about is, you know, a person or a group of people that live in a said community, you know, that have experienced that community, have experience in that community, that can be like liaisons for peace. So, for instance, like, you know, I'm from Compton. You take somebody, you take like some ex-gang members from Compton and, you know, they're working with the police department and then, you know, working with the gang members to, you know, create peace and create a bridge and create this, you know, this trust bubble and, and things of that nature. I mean, that's good. That's all good good and all. But I want to get into a tweet that came from an activist and a writer um, named DeRay McKesson. He said, fund the police is not an answer. They, already, they are already well-funded and not accountable to anyone, and their presence hasn't led to any community safety. I thought that that was interesting because... Oftentimes, you know, especially with policies and laws and things of that nature, like we just continue to keep going on and doing the same thing over and over each year. And we kind of expect different results. Now, I want to say this because I have law enforcement in my family and I want to say this, that law enforcement is, is, is essential. 
we we do need law enforcement because at the end of the day, if somebody's breaking into your car, breaking into your house, if you don't own a firearm or something like that, you're gonna want to call the police. So why I don't I don't fully stand behind totally defund the police, like break the whole you know institution down, and that there's no police officers and so on and so forth. I do think that the money could be changed and how it's funded. Meaning like, for example, let's say, you know, police police officers get a hundred million dollars a year. How about we like break that in half and then that other fifty, part of that other fifty million that's left, twenty-five of that goes to um teachers and resources that teachers need because we all know that teachers are underpaid Oftentimes they're bringing in their own resources from with their own money. Why don't we give that to teachers and then use the other half of that for the actual building up of the community around um, where the teachers are actually working? You know, there's so many things that can be done with that, like creating, you know, after school programs and after school centers, you know, basketball courts, tennis courts, things that are going to keep, you know, kids out of trouble. Things that are going to keep people occupied, computer centers, family computer centers. There's so many things that can be done with that those extra funds, but like I said, I don't think that totally be funding the police. And I could be wrong. I'm not a, you know, when it comes to the economy, I I'm not claiming to be an expert in how money is used and you know how it's spent. But these are just like I said, my thoughts, and I think that would be something good and how you can split that up and allocate it that way because you know let's face it, there they the police department has always been funded. They're, they've always been funded and, you know, no one is really holding them accountable. I mean, we see we're, we're starting to see some cases now take form, but, you know, their presence really hasn't led into any, you know, an uprising in community safety. And actually, if we look at statistically in 2021, which was just last year, the year that we came out of that year set a record for fatal police shootings. A record for fatal police shootings. We were we were halfway into COVID already. So it's crazy. Like, you know, people still stand at home and things of that nature. But I think that, like I said, some of those funds should be taken and invested into teachers first and the community. That's what I think. Um, another topic that President Biden spoke on was expanding the benefits, health benefits, especially for um, the VA. And this was an interesting, this was actually an interesting point in the address. And I, this is where I think that you should actually go on YouTube and kind of watch this because it was kind of crazy. Um, so I'm going to break it down. So basically, President Biden, he was talking about like some of our war veterans. Um, and I'm going to play this clip so you can hear exactly what he's saying and what the representative says back to him. Many of you have been there. I've been in and out of Iraq and Afghanistan over 40 times. These burn pits that incinerate waste, the waste of war, medical and hazards material, jet fuel, and so much more. And they come home, many of the world's fittest and best trained warriors in the world, never the same. Headaches, numbness, dizziness, a cancer that would put them in a flag-draped coffin. I know. One of those, one of those soldiers was my son, Major Bo Biden. So, 
pretty much what's going on here is, of course, President Biden is talking about the troops that that are our way, and you know they you know develop some ailments or, or sicknesses from being away and being exposed to just all these chemicals and just the waste of war and all that stuff. Um, and then he starts to get personal. You know, he's talking about you know, troops that that develop cancer. You know, when they have to be in. Uh, flat draped coffins. You you obviously know he's about to get into his son. If you know him, especially if you're an uh, if you're a politician, you're gonna know his son, Bo Biden. You know, passed away from cancer and was in the service, so you know he's about to go there. But that didn't stop her at all. So what she's referring to the thirteen, she's referring to earlier earlier last year when President Biden took office. Um, he went ahead and withdrew the U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Um, now, this move came under a lot of criticism, but it also came out. It was it was kind of split the way I saw it. There was a lot of criticism for it, and there was also a lot of praise for him. The criticism side of it was that he pulled the troops, but he didn't do it in a he didn't do it in a well thought out way. And to be quite honest. I'm not really sure if we've been there for 20 years. I'm not really sure what other way it could have been done to just get the troops out instead of just prolonging it. Like I said, I'm not an expert on that. That's just my thoughts. But so people are saying that he didn't do it in a, in a well thought out way. And because it wasn't a well thought out way, as the troops were withdrawing, tensions rose up, of course, with the, you know, um, some of the insurgents out there. Um, and we had some casualties where 13 servicemen and women, um, they actually passed away from, you know, the events that took place with the withdrawal. And so those are the 13 that she's talking about, which is sad. Um, but like I said, on the flip side, you have people that kind of praised him for pulling American troops out of Afghanistan because you have some people who have sons, they have daughters, they have husbands, they have wives who were abroad who were gone, you know, like I said, this has been going on for like 20 years. And, you know, who wants to live with the fact that, you know, my husband or my spouse or my kids are going to be gone for eight months on end. And I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure how safe they are. So just pulling them out from a war that most people just see as as going in circles on going on, going in circles anyway. Um, that's what he did. And that's the, the choice that he made. Um, so. Yeah, she just stood up and and heckled him. That was it was interesting, you know, like really, I'm, you know, over the past few years, I've really started to get more and more into politics because as I was younger, I really wasn't into it. Um, but now that I'm, you know, able to watch like State of the Union addresses and and things of that nature. It's just kind of crazy some of the stuff that goes on. And then what even makes this crazier is that, you know, she stood up and said this, but she kind of tried to use it for her benefit because the day, either the day after or later that, yeah, I think it was the day after the day after she released a statement and was saying like, you know, what he said in this, what president Biden said in the state of the union address was all lies. And if you want to partner with me to pretty much, you know, make America great again, <laughs> for lack of a better, for lack of a better word, or lack of a better slogan to make it, make America great again, go ahead and donate to so such and such, you know? And that was the craziest part to me. Like, okay. So you go heck limit, then you throw the, the, the donation part in there. Oh, okay. I, I see. I mean, either way, like I said, at the end of the day, it's sad that, 13 people lost their lives, um, period, point blank, period. This It's a loss of human life. 
Now, you know, whether you want to place the blame solely on President Biden, I mean, that's, you know, that's up for your own thought processing. Um, but, you know, I think we also have to understand that, you know, in the war, there are no guarantees. And like I said, that war had been going on for 20 years. You know, it's not a war that Biden started. Um, it's not a war that anybody started. It was even over there, a part of the troops, you know. But we know what we know about war is that war is horrible. There is no guarantees in war. There is no safety in war, if, if, if you will. Um, so, you know, these brave 13 men and women, they signed up for something and knew the risk that they were taking. Um, they gave their life to for this country, for the service of this country. Um, and, you know, I just want to take a moment of silence, you know, just to think on them. Okay. Um, also, too, so getting into the latter part of the State of the Union address, this wasn't the only outburst she did, but her um, and another representative, Marjorie Taylor Greene, when President Biden is talking about immigration and, you know, making our borders stronger, they stood up and said something else. And here's another clip of this. We need to secure our border and fix the immigration system. So, as you can hear, if you couldn't hear that clear, they're chanting, build the wall, build the wall. Like I said, some of this stuff is just fascinating. I mean, it's just really interesting. And it really it really calls to, you know, your thought process of, like, are you really doing this because, you know, this is really what you feel? Or is it kind of just shock value? Because you know that you're going to be the headline. You're going to be the, you know what I mean, the, the click line. Um, for for the website, for the for the blogs or something like that, because that's just interesting to me, especially to be a politician. I'm, like I said, I'm not an expert in economics, but I know that trying to build an actual physical wall to border Mexico, like the, the money that we're already in debt for in this country. I mean, that's just going to send it over the it's just it's impossible and it's impossible to build something that's just, you know, going to be. It's just the terrain is just crazy. You know what I mean? Like logistically, it's just it's like an impossible feat. So anyway, that was just crazy. Um, another part of his speech, which was pretty much the last part of his speech, was um, the retirement of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. He was in attendance in the chamber. Um, you know, they gave him a standing ovation for his time served as a Supreme Court justice. But this actually gave way to really think on. President Biden's new Supreme Court justice nominee, um, Judge Kintanji Brown Jackson. Um, she would, if nominated, she would be the first black woman to be nominated on the Supreme Court. She's a Harvard, Harvard Law graduate. Um, if she is nominated as well, she'll be the first judge nominated since Thurgood Marshall that has experience with public defense. Um, so from what I research, she's a brilliant woman. Um, beautiful mind, uh, just all around a good candidate. Um, but I want to save me going into depth on her for another episode. But 
that in the nutshell is pretty much what the State of the Union was about. Um, one other thing about the State of the Union that wasn't really hinted at or wasn't really spoken on was Biden's Build Back Better initiative. Now, this is a bill that he proposed when he was you know, campaigning, when he was running to be president. Um, and it's a bill that he proposed that ultimately got shot down because of, you know, some Republicans and um, a couple of actual Democrats on his side that kind of shot it down. But I want to get into exactly what the Build Back Better initiative is, because I read this poll and it was an actual CBS poll that said only 10 percent, only 10 percent of Americans knew a lot of the specifics about the Build Back Better plan. Not all of the specifics, they knew about a lot of the specifics, but 29% of Americans didn't know what the Build Back Better bill was at all. Um, they had no knowledge of what this about, nothing like, oh, I've, I've never heard that, you know? So I want to give some insight to that because like I said, this is a bill that he didn't, this is a part of the union and he didn't, the address of the union that he didn't bring up because I'm guessing because it's a, it's a stall bill right now with Congress. But what the Build Back Better bill is, it's actually called the Build Back Better Budget Reconciliation Bill. Um, it's one of two huge pieces of legislation that form the centerpiece of Biden's domestic agenda. So, again, this is just something that he, you know, when he was campaigning that pretty much, like, hey, vote for me because of this. You know, I'm, I'm creating this plan and this is what's going to be in the plan, you know, so, so you can vote for me. And what's a part of this is universal preschool for children ages three and four, um, free community college, expanded Medicare services and Medicaid, lower prescription costs, and also a full 12 weeks paid family leave time. Um, for those who have, for those having children. So all of that stuff was entailed in the Build Back Better bill. Um, and, you know, it's some, as you can hear, it's some good stuff in there that a lot of people can benefit from. And that's not all the, the points that I read that that isn't all of it. You can research it and see exactly what everything entails and the, the actual price tag of it, of what this would cost us, um, America, the American taxpayers. But, you know, stuff like universal preschool for children, um, I know right now, you know, a few moms, um, especially single moms, that could really benefit from that, you know, because oftentimes you could pitch your kid in a, you know, there are some free preschools offered somewhere or some at a lower rate, but, you know, it's just most of them are in areas where just it's not a good area it's either not a good area or you know they visit the preschools and it's just not like it's kind of the thing like you kind of get what you pay for you know and if it's free you can't really do much complaining because it's free um so i think that this would you know be something that could greatly benefit moms another thing is with the, with the 12 weeks paid family leave like no mom really wants to leave their child that quick when they have a child you know so this just adds an extra buffer to know that you could you know, stay home and, and nurse your kids and raise your kids for that time being. Um, even though we're still behind that curve because there are other countries. There's some countries that offer a year paid time for moms. Just So just let, let that marinate. There's some countries that offer a year's paid leave for mothers. Um, but, you know, every little step, like New Edition song, um, is a great step. So... You know, hopefully in the future, this bill can come in full circle and come to fruition and things can get done the way they need to be done. 
Um, lastly, with this podcast, just a little update on what's going on in Ukraine and the Russian conflict. Um, right now, they're still fighting. Um, Ukraine, though, just like you heard in the, the, the first clip of the opening of this podcast, the Ukrainian people, they have really shown, you know, some real dexterity and resilience, you know, um, from the Russian forces trying to take over and, and invade their country. I mean, these people are standing 10 toes down, including the president, including, including the president, Vladimir Zelensky, 10 toes down out there on the front lines, defending his country, defending their country holding off Russian troops who outgunned them, who outnumber them, you know, who have, who had all these resources and this technology, holding them off. Um, and so that's what's still going on right now. The last thing, the last update was that there was some shell fire, meaning like some rockets and some bombings going on at a nuclear power plant in Ukraine, which is one of the biggest nuclear power plants in Russia. Uh, I mean, in, in the Europe, and there was uh, a fire going on. So that was cause for concern because, again, Ukraine has another power plant that was called Chernobyl. And you can Google that and see what happened with that. But it was a meltdown way back in the day. Um, and so people were kind of afraid with this new fire and the, you know, the damage that was going into the new power plant. Hopefully it wasn't going to be another Chernobyl situation. But as so far, it's not. It's, it seems like the fire has gotten under control. But again, the fighting is still going on. We got to pray for Ukraine. Um, we got to pray for this world. Actually, that wasn't the last thing I wanted to bring up. There's another thing I wanted to bring up that is making its rounds on the political cycle as well. With the evacuation of refugees, there have been some reports of, you know, people experiencing like racism and, and discrimination on the borderlines of getting evacuated. And I just want to say this because not that I ever want to excuse racism, but um, me and my wife have had the privilege to travel abroad, travel out to other countries like France, um, like Italy, you know, the Dominican Republic, even Canada. Um, and one thing I can tell you is that our American scope of racism, our view of racism, we just think about, you know, Jim Crow. We think about segregation and we think that racism is more so an American problem. Really, racism is a world problem. You know, and it's not just on black people. It's on all type of minorities. It's the Middle Easterns. They get it, you know, um, and, and that's what's going on in, in Ukraine. So we've had reports of, you know, refugees trying to flee the country to get away from the war. And you have, you know, black and brown people that are getting kind of looked at as less than and, you know, getting told one thing. Oh, you know, your turn will come. And then that turn turns into a four day wait when they're getting dogs and cats on trains before actual human beings. Um, so these are just some of the reports. Um, I'm not, you know, I can't substantiate and say this is actually true and actually fact. Um, I just know that there was an American basketball player that just returned, though, who was black. And he detailed his experience with even the team not trying to let him go, <laughs> you know, while this invasion was happening. So, um you know, I just want to bring that to light and to just remind everybody to, you know, just be kind. Um, man, there's just so much stuff that we've been through in this world and that's just going on. 
And, you know, it's just still crazy that we have to focus on the color of our skin when we all bleed the same. You know, the shades of color on our skins might be the, you know, it might be different hues and different textures and different colors. But inside, we're all bleeding the same crimson red blood, you know, and that's what the that's what connects us as humans. Um, so, man, I just want to remind you guys to go out there and be kind to people um, and just help each other. Let's help each other. That's how the world is going to heal. And that's how we're going to get to a better place. All right. Um, with that being said, that is all that I have for you today. Um, now, also, don't get spoiled because normally what I'm trying to do is do a podcast every week. Um, I wanted to do this one before the week was up because, you know, President Biden gave his address to the nation. Um, so I wanted to get that broken down in detail before the week came around in full circle. But um, yeah. So be looking out for the next podcast next week, the next episode. Um, like I said, I'm I'm just happy to be here to speak with you guys, for you guys to hear me. And again, if you are just listening to this for the first time, please go and subscribe to the podcast. Share this podcast with somebody. Please rate this podcast. I hope I'm giving five star service. Um, also, leave a comment. Um, let me know if there's something that, you know, you didn't quite get that wasn't clear or something that you've heard that you might want to have broken down or explained, you know, like like I said, like the word oligarch or, you know, it can be anything from voter suppression to what is the filibuster? What does that mean? Anything. So, you know, or a topic you want to talk about. So just let me know in the comments. Um, you can hit me up on social media. You can follow me at Keontae McDonald or it's in the description of the podcast. Um, and just let me know, man. Um, I appreciate you guys again for listening. Um, as always, I am your host, Keontae McDonald. Good day. God bless. And until next time.